it says this. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, only Jesus can say that. I promise, try it out after church. <laughs> Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, the time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. The Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. And Jesus is just really uh, just letting her know in this point like, hey, your Savior is Jewish. And uh, verse 23, yet a time is coming and now it has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshiper the Father seeks. Final verse, verse 24. God is spirit, and the worship and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. Worship him in spirit and in truth. If you are a note taker this morning, I want to talk to you briefly from the subject, come and see. Come and see. Let's pray one more time. Father, we love you. Uh, God, we just thank you for this opportunity that we have to gather together. Holy Spirit, we recognize you today as our guest of honor. And so we just want you to do what only you can do in our lives. We know that we want to leave here changed. We want to leave here better, but not for our own benefit, but so that we can change the world around us. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen. So I'm about to share with you a, uh, my most embarrassing story ever. Some of you guys may recall this. Others of you, you can just be uh, relive this embarrassing moment with me uh, today. But uh, when, when I went to college, I went to Bible school in Dallas, Texas. And unlike a, yeah, yes, yes. Unlike a regular university where the star athlete is like the one that people try to, you know, emulate. Uh, at a Bible college, it's the person that, like, looks the holiest. Okay? And, and so I quickly learned that if, if I want to be, um, if I want people to, to the, I was in college, this was a long time ago. If I wanted people to, to, to think that, that um, to, to be like, oh, I want to be like this guy, I want to hang out with this guy, I learned that I had to look. You know what I'm saying? I, like I had to be holy. And so, so one way, the best way to do this was during worship. And so every morning, Monday through Friday, we would have this assembly. And, and in the morning, we would go to this assembly. And what we did is we worshiped for 30 minutes. And uh, I quickly discovered that if I wanted to... to to, to give off this, this, this aura of being holy, okay, then all those people would come up to the front in front of the stage. And they would go to the front of the stage and, and, and they would just, they would worship their hearts out. Like, they wouldn't just lift their hands like this. It wasn't like this. But like they worship. The real holy people, they would have their hands up and they would rock. The real good ones were able to get tears every single day. I wasn't that efficient. I was just, I was just, you know, like I was up there like that. And I was like, this is as good as it gets for me. 
And so one day, here's what I'm telling you. One day I'm like, I'm in the front and I'm like, holy, there is no one like. I'm singing my heart out, my little heart out. And as I'm worshiping, as I'm doing this back and forth rocking motion, all of a sudden something inside of me just doesn't feel right. And it wasn't the Holy Spirit, y'all. It was my stomach. And my stomach was like, and I was like, oh, whoa. And so, this is why it's embarrassing. So I'm like, I need to go to the bathroom, okay? We're going to skip what happens in the bathroom because I love you guys. Yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you. But when I was done, okay, I, was, I, I had this choice. Do I either go to the back of the auditorium so no one can see me, or do I go all the way back up to the front? Your boy was like, I'm going to go back to the front. So I pop through those doors, and I talk, like I'm worshiping while I'm walking down, to, down, down the aisle, and people are looking at me, and I'm smiling. I'm like, God is good. Come on. I'm walking down. I'm walking down the aisle praising. People are staring at me. I'm like, oh, this is legit. And I'm like, you know, I'm like, better not bitter, baby. Woo! And I'm just walking down. I'm walking. It's a long, it's a big auditorium. And I'm walking down there. And then I get towards the front. And my friend, Terrilyn, I still remember her name. She stops me. And I'm like, what? I'm worshiping. She leans over and she says, uh, were you just in the bathroom? And I'm like, that is weird to ask me that. But yes. She, I, said, I said, why? She pointed. And I, I, I'm like, and I turn around. And y'all, I walk from the back of the auditorium to the front. With the toilet paper tail. <laughs> and, <laughs> and in this moment, I am embarrassed. I thought they were pointing to me because I was worshiping and beautiful. They were pointing at me because I had toilet paper swinging like a kite <laughs> from my pants. And I was embarrassed, and I was sad, and I don't want to relive this moment because I still struggle with PTSD. No joke about this. But here's why I'm telling you this this morning, is because I carried something that I experienced here, and I carried it with me to where I was going. What I had experienced in this moment, I carried it with me all the way over here to where I was going. I feel like y'all are so blessed right now, we should just end. <laughs> but here's why I'm telling you this, because this, I believe, of carrying something from here to over here, 
is what Jesus was trying to get across in the four verses that we just read. I actually believe Jesus, what, what, if, if he, there was one big idea of what Jesus is saying in verse 20 through 24. It's this very idea that what I encounter here should go with me over here. How I experience Jesus here should also go with me over here. And how I experience Jesus here should continue to go with me over here. And I think that what Jesus is saying in these four verses is he's letting his audience know. He's letting his, his, uh, you and I know that we are supposed to be carriers of his presence. That we are to, we're to experience him here, but not just leave him here but carry him with us everywhere we go, so much so that the terror lines in your life stop you and say, hey, were you just there? Did you just encounter? There's something noticeably different about you. Like we're supposed to be carriers. And so this conversation starts off in verse 20, what we just read, and it starts off with, with our friend, uh, the Samaritan lady. She's, she's in this conversation with Jesus. And, and she, says, she says, so I can see that you're a prophet. And then she goes on to say, um, since you're a prophet, maybe you can answer this question. This is something that I've been thinking about forever. She, she goes and she says, um, so my people, we think that you could only worship God here. But your people say that we could only worship God over here. She's like, so prophet, what is right? Can we worship God here or do we worship God there? Now, if you uh, joined us in week one, we learned that, in, uh, that Israel had a little church split. And 930 BC, Israel, they split and then they, 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 they created a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. The northern kingdom, where uh, the Samaritans were part of, they would have worshipped God on Mount Gerizim. And they're right here, and, and she's like, this is where we worship God. This is the only place we worship God. But, uh, but uh, the southern kingdom, where, uh, where Jesus would have been from, like it was all about worshiping God at Jerusalem. And she's like, where, where do we worship? And then in verse 21, Jesus does what only he can do because he, he, he's, about to, he's about to flip everything upside down. And so this lady's like, so where do we worship, prophet? Over here or over there? Huh? <laughs> That's how I read it. I don't know. And, uh, and Jesus, Jesus says this. He said, there's a time that's coming where you're not going to worship God here or there. To which she would have looked at Jesus like, you're crazy. What do you mean? Like, where do we worship? Jesus like, there's going to be a time where you, you don't have to go to Jerusalem or the mount over here to, to worship. Like, you, you're, not, you're not going to have to go to either place. And she, like, in her mind, she doesn't comprehend this. 
Because up until this point, God was a geographical God. Up until this point, Jesus, or excuse me, up until this point, God was, was a, a, a location. And it's kind of hard, I think, if we're honest, to, to, to fully comprehend this idea because we know now that, like, we, like, the Western culture mindset that we have, like, we worship, like, when we think of worship, we think of what they just did earlier today. Like, so for a lot of us, when I say worship, you automatically just go to, like, singing and playing and maybe a hill song or a maverick city. And you're like, yes, I love worship. Or, or you're also like maybe when you think of worship because you think of it just as music, you're like, I can worship God anywhere as long as I have my Spotify. I can worship God anywhere. And it's true, music, singing is part of worship, but it's not the totality of worship. It's not, it's not limited to just singing. And so, so uh, when, when uh, Jesus would have said to this lady, hey, you're not going to have to worship here or there, her mind, she just couldn't comprehend it. Because unlike us, this point, uh, at this time period when Jesus and this lady were talking, worship was logistics and location driven. Here's what I mean. It would have been like, I need to go to this specific place. To offer this specific thing for this specific purpose. And that's how they would have understood worship. But Jesus changes the game. And then we get to John chapter 20, excuse me, John 4, verse 23. And Jesus says this, and I love this. I love this. Jesus says, because he, he can tell, like this, this lady is like, I don't know. He says, he says, the time is coming when, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. He said, the time is coming and the time is now where people will worship fa the Father in spirit and in truth. And then he goes on and he says this. He says, these are the worshiper the Father is seeking. And so all of a sudden, what we see, because up until this point, they only understood, they only understood God as being a God that I go to. But what Jesus is suggesting is that God is no longer just a God that I go to, but now all of a sudden he's a God that comes with. And so, so, Je so Jesus, he's, he's like just challenging her way of thinking when it, comes, when it comes to worship. And he's like, soon it won't matter where you go to worship because worship, watch this, is not a location, it's a lifestyle. So Jesus, he, he's like, hey, it doesn't matter where you go to worship. Because worship is not defined by a location. Worship is how I live. Worship is how I act. Worship is how I speak. All of a sudden, Jesus is changing the game. And in verse 23, he says, God is looking for those who worship him in spirit and in truth. 
Now, in spirit, uh, when you uh, make a decision to follow Jesus, when you make a decision to make Jesus the Lord, or at Discovery, we say the boss of your life, when, when you make that prayer, all of a sudden, the Spirit of God lives in you. And so now, all of a sudden, worship is a response of what God's Spirit is doing internally, inside of me. All of a sudden, worship is a response to what the Holy Spirit is doing in, in here, inside of me. So I think this is very important because it shows us two things. The first thing it shows us is that um, because God now dwells in me, that I'm a carrier of his presence. So everywhere I go, God goes. Everywhere I go, the Holy Spirit goes. Like everywhere I am, so is God because he's not, he's not a location geographical God, but he's now dwelling in me. And guess what? When you go to places that you shouldn't go or where I shouldn't go, guess what God doesn't do? I'll wait out here. <laughs> when you come back, I'll just, then I'll, you know, but have fun. Nah, he's rolling with you. Wherever you go, wherever I go. Why? Because his spirit lives in me. And so worship, like he, he's saying worship, uh, God is looking for people who worship in spirit and in truth. And so this idea of spirit, like worship is a response of what God is doing in my life. So everything I say, everything I think, everything I do has an opportunity to give God worship. Every conversation I have at work about how I may not love my boss, but I'm going to honor my boss is an opportunity to give God worship. Every time I just want to spank my kids because they don't listen, I'm going to try to show them grace. Because everything I do has an opportunity to be worshipped to God. Every time someone cuts me off on Highway 101, <laughs> rather than throwing them a one-finger peace sign, <laughs> someone's like, it's an opportunity to give God worship. And so, so uh, worship, like his, because his spirit dwells in me, and I think this is very important, because his spirit dwells in me, because God is not bound to a location, everything that you encounter here in, within these four walls can go with you wherever you're at. In fact, I actually think church is more than just worshiping together. I think more so it's, it creates an opportunity for us to serve each other. It creates, us, it creates an opportunity for us to, to be in com intentional community 
with one another. And so Jesus said, the Father is looking for people who worship him in spirit and in truth. Oh, by the way, Jesus is not referring to your truth. By the way, he's not referring to my truth. Why? Because worship's not about me. Worship's not about you. Like, we live in this time where, like, everyone, like, has their own truth. This is my truth. This is your truth. Yo, if we all have a truth, is there really a truth? By the way, if you have your own truth, you're welcome here. I do, I do need to say this because uh, we've always established here you don't have to believe to belong. You, you don't have to. We're not trying to force our will on you instantly. We're actually saying, hey, we just want you to say, Jesus, whatever you have for me. And we want him to work from the inside out. And so, so Jesus said he's looking for spirit and in truth. He's not talking about your truth. He's not talking about my truth. But rather, Jesus is talking about himself. He says in John chapter 14 and verse 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, in life. Well, what are you the truth about, Jesus? That no man can come to the Father except through me. So in this moment, Jesus is identifying himself as the truth. And he's saying that, that worship is not just a response of what he is doing in me, but it's also a response of what he's doing for me. What he has done for me, what he is doing for me, what he will do for me. It's this idea that when I understand that Jesus is my truth, I build on that. I build my faith on Jesus, not John. Like, my faith is built on the truth of who Jesus is and what he has done for you and what he's done for me. And he says that now is the time when those who worship will worship me, worship me in spirit and in truth. We can have the keys come up because I'm landing this plane right now. But verse, uh, then we get to verse 25, and I'm thirsty. Verse 25. And uh, here's, what's, here's what's interesting. In verse 25, uh, we see uh, this lady. It's the first time she's actually speaking. Um, like it's been Jesus talking the past two, three verses and now she actually gets this opportunity to, to, to talk. And, um, and so Jesus, he's like, he's like, you don't have to go here or there to worship. In fact, God is not looking for a location uh, style of worship. He's looking for a lifestyle of worship. And her response in verse 25 is interesting because she, she's like this. This is what she said. She's like, I believe that the Messiah is coming, that the Savior is coming. 
And uh, we'll just let him sort this all out. Let's just agree to disagree. This is her response. You can read it on your own time. Like, she, she's like, she, she's like, I, you know, whatever, whatever you're saying, that's not my truth. There it is. And then Jesus says in verse 26, and this is the game changer. She's like, this is not, like, I don't, she, she's saying to him that, 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 uh, what is she saying to him? <laughs> she's saying the Messiah is coming. She's like, the Messiah is coming. He'll, he'll sort this all out. He'll, he'll show you. And then Jesus is a response in verse 26. I love this. He says, woman, ma'am, friend. He says, I am the Messiah. Verse 26 is so critical to our story because what happens in verse 26 sets the stage for what happens in verse 28. See, we don't know the conversation that happens. We just know that Jesus is like, I am the Messiah. That's all we know. So we don't know if she continued to ask questions. We don't know we don't know. All we know is what we read in verse 28. And here's what it says. Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. We skip down to verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. This lady's excited that Jesus called her her junk out. Could it be that our junk put so much weight on us that we're just waiting for, for to hear Jesus say, here, give me all of your baggage. Give me all of your crud. Give me all of your addictions. Because she went back to town and she's like, you got to meet this guy that called me out for living with this guy. And she was excited. And then verse 42, they said to the woman, so they, being the Samaritans, they said to the woman, we no longer believe, oh my gosh, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. Friends, remember, she was an outcast. She, remember, she was grabbing water at noon 
when no one else was there. Because nobody wanted to see her. But all of a sudden, one encounter with Jesus, my God. One conversation with Jesus transformed her in such a way that she was able to go back to town. And there was something noticeably different about her. Because now they were no longer shunning her, but they were leaning in. Tell me more about this Jesus. Tell me more about what happened. Because you're not the same person. Something happened in this conversation with Jesus that she carried with her over here. And it forever changed that town. The greatest outcast became the greatest hero. The greatest, the greatest outcast, the person that no one would have assumed. Come on, by the way, I am that person. When people from high school know, find out that I'm a pastor, they're like, what? Like, I am her. That's a weird statement. That's, I am, <laughs> I am that person that no one thought could amount to anything because of my past, because of what I've done. But one encounter with Jesus is an opportunity to carry what he's given me and bring it over here. Because worship is not a location. Worship is a lifestyle. Because God lives in me. Here's the nugget for number four for this week. The final nugget is this. Jesus called you to be a carrier of his presence. Jesus has called you to be a carrier of his presence. Jesus has called you, despite your past, despite how jacked up it may have been, Jesus is calling you, sir, ma'am, he's calling you to steward what you get here, what you get in your quiet time, to carry it out and carry it with you over here, to your work, with your family, on your campus, wherever it is, he's called you to be a carrier of his presence. Amen, somebody?